Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Engler. I am here with a guest co-host, Aaron Mercer. Aaron, say hello to the crowd. Hello, good to be here. Aaron from uh, good old Massachusetts, our communication director. Um, he did a Thanksgiving episode. So Aaron. And you invited me back, which I must have done something right. Well, we, we made you a host, so that's kind of like a promotion. So anyways, we are in the middle of a series on reconciliation. Um, obviously, when we talk about reconciliation today, a lot of it has to do with racial, but we want to talk about the bigger picture of why reconciliation matters, everything from forgiveness to poverty to different areas of society. And today we have a really, really um, close friend, I'd say, of the podcast, of Browncroft, his name's Cody Foster. He's our Fellowship of Christian Athletes director, he used to work here at the church. He'll share a little bit more about that. But our topic today is why does reconciliation matter to sports? Aaron, what are some of your thoughts to get us started? Yeah, well, thanks again for inviting me to be the guest co-host there. This is exciting to be on the Why God Why podcast in this way. Um, and I'm also really excited to hear from and meet Cody I know you guys know each other already, but I don't. So I'm excited to hear this story and um, and more about FCA too and what FCA does around the country. I think you know sports are uh, an amazing. They're amazing in a lot of ways. They bond people together. Um, they're exciting. You know, it's hard when you're sitting next to a, a Jets fan and I'm a Patriots fan, but you know it's okay because other things about sports will bond us together but that's what we're going to talk about here yeah you know i was just i gave boston a compliment which i don't usually do but, <laughs> but brad brad stevens coach of the celtics recently was asked what do you do with a tough player and he says you know i rebound for them and shoot around and there's something about sports that just bring people together reconciliation so i'm excited to go there cody welcome to the podcast thanks for having me guys i i'm excited I love being back here. I love the opportunity to be here and talk about one of my favorite things, two of my favorite things, Jesus, sports. I'm excited. Oh, there we go. Hey, back us up. Introduce us to Cody from high school. What sports did he play? Talk. I don't know if we want to go there. It's, <laughs> a dark, it's a dark ages, as they say. But yeah, so um, in high school, didn't know Jesus. I went to church. Uh, I can say went to church. I was more like dragged to church by my single mom and found sports when I was about in seventh, eighth grade, uh, found the sport of football. I was kind of a punk before that skater kid, snowboard kid, all that. And, you know, my mom wanted to put me in organized sports to kind of teach me discipline. So th there was a, you know, other objective behind sports and I fell in love with it. And, you know, I had so much uh, emotion and, and just anger and hormones and all that stuff that teenage boys wrestle with. And, found my passion on the football field, you know, being able to hit a kid and not get in trouble for it. I was like, man, this is a dream. This is amazing. And high school me just really, I, I really struggled, you know, like I just loved sports. I love the passion of it. And I, and I fell in love with the culture of it, of being a jock in high school. People knew your name, your name was in the newspaper. It was like, I fell in love with the aura of the attention. So in high school, I loved it, and I would stick up for my teammates and anything. And, and the epitome of who I was in high school, so you want to know high school me, 
my junior year of high school, one of our football players got cheap shotted during a game. And so in, in sports, you always stick up for your teammate. And I decided to cheap shot the player back. Well, my cheap shot was seen in front of the referee and the hundreds of fans in the stands. I headbutted a kid in front of the you know sideline official and all the fans. And I remember my mom telling the story. She was in the stands and she saw the official throw his thumb over his shoulder. And my mom's like, what's that call? Wait, wait, why is Cody walking off the field? And my mom's friend was like, he, he just got ejected. And so high folks, folks, me. let me remind you, this episode is why does sports uh, matter to reconciliation? <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, I like it. And in order to talk about reconciliation, you have to talk about why we need it. Right. Like there's awesome. Uh, there's obviously a divide. If there wasn't a divide or a misstep, we wouldn't be talking about reconciliation. So high school me was the misstep of sports. And when I got to college, had the opportunity to go play college football at St. John Fisher and was an amazing experience. But I also had my eyes opened up to the negative side as I was trying to walk out my faith with Jesus. And I didn't understand reconciliation even in that breath because I decided to basically take myself out of the atmosphere of sports. So instead of being a light and, and you know, building a bridge to bridge the gap between faith in Jesus in the adverse culture of sports, I just decided to walk away. You know, I, who I was on the football field, that was me. And then who I was at, you know, youth group and, and church and, and crew, the ministry on campus was completely different. I didn't go to parties. I, I refused to. I refused to build those relationships. And so when you're talking about reconciliation, I was a part of the problem in high school. I avoided the problem in college. And now on staff with FCA, I'm a part of the solution and trying to find the solution to reconcile and, and, and bring sports back to what it really is. You know, in mm -hmm. high school and in, in playing organized sports, it, you go through so much adversity. You know, I, we just completed our football season and our last game of the year, we lose on a kickoff return. Three minutes left, we want our defense to go out on the defensive coordinator, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped, I'm psyched. And we lose in this just adverse fashion. Our players are just like blinking, what happened? Like that wasn't real. Like there's got to be a flag on the field, whatever. And to walk with athletes and, and to show them there's a different way to handle adversity. There's a different way to handle when things just don't go your way. Mm. It, you know, that's the reconciliation. Like it's not so much about we're bridging a gap for athletes to be a better person or to be, a, you know, that's a part of it. But we're ultimately there, me as a coach and as a staff of FCA that disciples coaches, we're there to show them there's a bridge between the attitude and the conduct you have in sports that will directly translate to your conduct and attitude mm -hmm. in real life. Mm -hmm. Can you, can I just jump in there? Can you just tell us some more about FCA itself? Like what about the organization you're part of? Just tell us a little bit about, you know, what does FCA do? Is it a local thing? Is it national? I know it's national, but tell us more about it. Yeah. So um, it's actually international. International. There you go. So there we go. We're, I'm going to one up you there. Oh, you and, did. You did. Good uh, job. So <laughs> what FCA, our whole mission and philosophy, kind of what attracted me to it was when I was on staff at Browncroft doing youth ministry, I loved what I did. I loved serving youth. I, I loved being with the middle school kids, but there was a part of me that wrestled with kind of there's kids that were missing coming into our church here. I was a coach at Penfield at the time. And whenever I would go to practice, I would come to the realization there are kids that would never step foot inside this building. 
just because of their family background or, you know, their view of church or their view of religion or whatever it might be. They would never step foot inside of our building. And I could not come to terms with that. Like I just, I couldn't figure out, man, this is a problem. Like why, why does this even exist? And at the time my mentor was sharing with me about FCA, who's now my boss. And what clicked for me was he shared with me the dynamic of the coach. And growing up in high school, like I had terrible coaches, but I remember every single one of them from my modified coach all the way to my college coach. Like I did not have a Christian influence as a coach, great football coaches. You know, they talk the fundamentals, but terrible people. Mm. And what I, what was revealed to me is that the coach is one of the most influential relationships outside of the home. Mm. Like if you've ever played organized sports, you can probably reminisce and think back. I can remember pretty much every coach. I can't remember my 12th grade math teacher. Now, if school is, you know, supposed to be educating and teaching, I should remember my teacher, but they just didn't have the influence on me as an athlete that, you know, I needed. And so those were my coaches. And so what clicked for me is that FCA is a to and through the coach ministry. Our whole mission is to see the world transformed by Jesus Christ through the influence of coaches and athletes. And as an FCA staff person, we execute that by doing ministry to and through the coaches. So we to the coach, we minister to their marriage, their platform as a coach, who they are as human beings. Like coaches just think differently. It's basically like if we were to do ministry and say, hey, this chess player is going to do ministry to the captain of the football team. Like it just doesn't work. We're speaking different languages. Mm. It's like if I went to go on a missions trip to China, I could be effective in it, but I wouldn't be efficient. Like mm. I just don't speak the language. I don't know the culture. Like it would take me time to acclimate. But for me as an athlete talking with coaches, I'm both effective and efficient at it because I understand the way they think, the language they use. And so I'm able to create a space and a place where the gospel can be absorbed by these coaches and they understand how it translates into their platform on the field. And then we minister through them in advocating and empowering them and saying, listen, you are one of the most influential relationships outside of the home. Some of these kids don't have a great home. Some of them go to church, but they can't translate what they hear at youth group to how they should act on the field. Mm. Like me, like my football mm. character on Saturday was like oil and who I was on Sunday was like water. They never mixed. Mm. And so we're able to really reach coaches and say, hey, there's a different way to do this. Let's influence kids, not just on the field, but who they are off the field. So that's FCA in a nutshell. I wanna come back to the coaches thing because that's really important. Yeah. Um, I guess, so this is bad when guests ask you questions before. So you're like, well, what's your definition of reconciliation? Yeah. What's your definition, Cody, of reconciliation? You've kind of hinted at it, but I just think it'd be helpful. Yeah, so when I think of reconciliation, and I think there's tons of ways to define it and walk through it, but essentially, I, I'd like to create a picture. And essentially what it is, is there are two opposing sides. There, there's just a gap. There's, there's a gap, there's a misunderstanding, there was a wrongdoing, there was something that just divided one side from the other. And reconciliation is, is building a bridge or building a way to make that gap not exist anymore. Or having a bridge that can overlook the gap and say, hey, this existed, but now we're overcoming it. And, and we're winning these people who were either on one side that need to be on the other. And 
So I think about the gospel and us being reconciled to God. And we always, you, you know, if, if you've grown up in the church, you know the picture I'm talking about. You got the one edge on one side and the edge on the other, and then the cross just magically fits into that gap. Usually a flannel graph or something. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's the <laughs> that's the reconciliation message. And so what we see in sports is when we look on Sports Center, we look at all these athletes per, proclaiming these messages. FCA exists because of the message of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Don McLean, the one who originally started FCA, looked at the um, platform of athletes and said, if athletes can endorse cigarettes, one side, if they can endorse alcohol, one side, if they can endorse sinful behavior, one side, why can't athletes endorse their savior, Jesus Christ? So there was a gap. Don McLean went to the, I believe it was the general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, the one who gave Jackie Robinson his chance at Major League Baseball. And he asked for five minutes, which turned into a five-hour meeting. And the idea of FCA was born of, we need to give a platform, build a reconciliation that athletes have an amazing platform that is rivaled by no other, specifically in our culture, to proclaim the name of Jesus. Hmm. And so they were bridging this gap of reconciling that there's a different way. And athletes can bridge that gap and say, you can be an athlete and a Christ follower. I think of like Steph Curry and the way that he behaves and bringing his daughter onto press, you know, press conference interviews and being a great dad, being a great athlete and being a great Christ follower. Is he perfect? No, but he is an example of like, hey, there's a different way to walk and conduct yourself. Do you, uh, do you find it fascinating? Excuse me, do you find it fascinating? So, I think pretty much no matter where you are, everybody would agree that athletes are more into social justice, more into speaking out. And you just told us that McLean, the guy who started FCA, was like, stand for Jesus. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, there's a little bit of like tension because I think to some of our listeners, they would think that the evangelical Christians are the ones that are saying, shut up and play basketball or yep. shut up and play football. But you're actually saying this organization that you work for, I mean, talk to us about that. I don't know. I'm just, I'm kind of curious. Yeah. So, and it comes in, it comes in two phases. And I think there's, in my opinion, there's an old school style of thinking. And I'm going to tell the story because this is the best way I, you know, answer questions. So when I was in my high school career, my high school coach um, was a great guy, loved football, was a great football teacher, but viewed athletes as commodities. Like they were just players to achieve his vision. Hmm. And they weren't people, they weren't individuals. And I see it happening in coaching all the time. You know, they, they care as far as much as when their player is injured for when they come back, not for how they're actually doing spiritually, physically, and emotionally with hmm. the injury. And what I see in our sports culture is the, the idea of shut up and dribble is that an athlete is only identified as what they do to perform. It would be the exact same if we were to step into the context and say to Pastor Rob, just shut up and preach. We don't want to hear your opinions on anything. We just want you to deliver God's word. We're summating a person based on their performance or what they're qualified to do. We don't do that in any other realm except for sports. So when we look at athletes, we enjoy when athletes perform for us and give us an, a, a great football game. We enjoy when Josh Allen is rolling around in the pocket and can throw a 70-yard dime in for a touchdown. And we all scream and shout and we're like, hey, celebrate. But the second that he does something 
adverse or converse to throwing a football, we're all up in arms. But we don't do that in any other context, or maybe we do, but we need to look at the reality of they're human beings. They have human emotions, they have human opinions, and the second that we submate somebody to just what they do, what, what are we really doing? Mm-hmm. You know, like, we're, we're not looking at them from a Christian perspective. If we were to look at athletes, all people are created in God's image, that we're gifted with talents and abilities to glorify Him. An athlete, just like an accountant, an accountant was blessed and given the talents to look at numbers in a, in a terrific way. I am not. I was gifted with the talents to put on a helmet and annihilate someone that has a football. And people get up and celebrate that. Now you can say, Cody, that's barbaric and Cody, that, that's not really a talent, but I was gifted with a talent of athleticism for a reason. Now, if I were to use that talent and use that platform to say, I only use it for people to celebrate, to cheer in the crowds and things like that. Well, what am I really doing? I'm not honoring God with the gifts that I've been given. Mm -hmm. Athletes have been given a platform because we've given it to them. And it's it's kind of contrary to say, hey, we're going to give you this platform because you sell tickets, you make us money, like you're fantastic. Oh, no, no. The second you ruffle feathers, we're going to disown you. Now, there's good and bad of both sides of doing it. Like there's good ways to speak out and good ways to speak up, but it's, it's, it's ironic that we look at athletes and say, you're only as good as you can shoot, dribble, throw a football, kick a football, catch a football, whatever it is. Why, why do you think uh, this is getting back to Peter wanted to talk about going back to the coaches. Why do you think coaches and then also players, um, really good players especially why do they have that platform um and maybe those are two questions i guess players can affect many of us um even you know those who i don't want to speak for peter but for someone like me who's you know i'm not the one out there smashing bodies around in the football field or whatever you know but um maybe this in the second part of that question is why why coaches and I i suppose coaches maybe have less of an effect on the broad public, but certainly have a lot of an effect on the people on their team. Why, I mean, why is, why yeah. is that there? So uh, I'm going to answer a question with your question and I'll wrap up to it. <laughs> That's great. Aaron, do you, That's so awesome. you're a Patriots fan. That's right. Do you own any Patriots gear? Do you I, own a Tom Brady jersey? I don't have a Brady jersey, but okay. I do have Patriots gear. So in fact, I'm wearing my Patriots socks because we were going to be talking about. So why, yeah. why do we purchase gear for our sports team? That's a great question. We, we give influence to athletes and teams because we want a sense of belonging. It's a, it's a clan. It's a cult. It's a, it's a place where we can belong and people like if I wear a, a Josh Allen Jersey and Wegmans, there's a, there's a point that I get fist bumps and people, you know, start the bill shout. And I feel like I have significance. I belong. People are, people are paying attention to me. And so we give these athletes platform because everyone wants, everyone wants to be submitted by their association. I want to be associated with Josh Allen. But the second that Josh Allen turns, turns coattails and, and says something that the public disagrees with, well, I don't, I don't want to be associated with him anymore. And the reason why I believe we do it, I do it, I own Bill's gear. I'm going to have a Bill's draft night party at my, you know, with, with friends. And, and like, 
when we look at it, it's like, why do we do this? It's all because of belonging. The same can be said for church with small groups. And, and why do we buy Browncroft logos and Browncroft gear? And why do we buy FCA stuff and wear FCA gear? It's we want to belong. We want to belong to something that's bigger than ourselves. And so we give athletes platforms because we want to belong within that camp because we subscribe to like, hey, they're, they're saying something we really like. But what we forget is we're not really friends with Steph Curry or Josh Allen. So like a, a best friend, Aaron, if you and I were really best friends and you said something out of line, we could have a conversation and we would reconcile our relationship to the where it was because we can have that conversation. We don't do that with athletes because we, we, we wrap them up in a tweet or we wrap them up in a press conference statement and says, this is everything of who Josh Allen or Tom Brady or Sam Darnold or whatever football player we wanna talk about, this is who they are because the media grabs it and then they blow it up way out of proportion. And we're like, no, 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 they're, they're human being. They're allowed their opinion. Like you can't, we can't sit around this table and say, we've never had a misstep statement that's been out of line. We all have, but we have friends in our life that call us out and say, Hey, that, you know, that wasn't right. So what, what is it, um, about just, you know, leaving the, the high profile athletes aside, but like, so you and I, let's yep. say that we had known each other before and we were already great friends and we were able to do, what is it about sports that that accentuates that? Like how does playing on a field or, I mean, have you seen this through FCA, through the work you're doing that bridges are built there between between people that they can um, fix relationships or, just, or even just something as small as a, a, a remark that someone didn't like. I mean, does playing on a team together or on a field together, does that affect that? Yeah. So, um, to use a non sports description, um, Aaron, have you ever worked on like a house project with a friend? Yeah. 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 So, and I bet you can think back to the memories of that, of like you smash your thumb with your hammer, you were mad. And then, you know, we laughed about it five hours later cause it was funny. The same is with sports is that you're working for a common goal. So what's beautiful about the art of sport, specifically team sport, and I'm a football player, so I'll speak specifically to football, is that it's 11 individuals, 11 backgrounds, 11 stories, 11 histories coming together in the summation of a team to achieve one goal. Now, if you've ever been in a team or a collaboration, when you work towards something together, there's conflict, there's adversity, but ultimately when the goal is achieved, really all is forgiven and, there, and there's a camaraderie and a memory and a, and a friendship that is built and cultivated through that one goal. So one time, uh, the one thing we talk about is shared experience. We mm -hmm. want our athletes to have a positive shared experience. So this year, our football team went one in five. We lost five games. Everyone from the outside in would look like that was so unsuccessful. I would argue that was ravingly successful. They grew every game. They battled every game. They trusted each other more as the season went on. And they cultivated something that no one could take away from them. Then when they walked onto that field, they knew the guy next to me, I trust him. He's going to do what he's assigned to do, and he trusts me to do what I'm assigned to do. And so in, in the realm of sports, you basically take 
all of this experience that we try to recreate in other aspects of our life. Like when we have a, a work team project, we're recreating a sports game. We're recreating some sort of atmosphere where we're having a shared goal. Mm. We're coming together to collaborate and we want to work together on it. Well, all you have to do on a sports team is everyone has their assignment. On a basketball team, the point guard delegates, the center blocks, and then the other three guys run around the, run around the floor to get open. Everyone has their assignment. And a team is trusting all the other individuals to do their assignment. So you're talking trust. You're talking um, there, there's a shared value of we believe in one another. You see it all the time. Like when, when you have a, a – because Peter's a Jets fan, I'll, I'll go here. When you have somebody like Jamal Adams, who's a great player, but for the, for the longevity of his, his career, like everyone looked at him as like, he's in it for himself. He speaks out too much. He's all about him. Throw that in any environment on a team. Throw that into a small group. You got a small group of, of six, eight you know, people, and one person dominates the whole conversation. Well, it, it dissolves trust. It dissolves the belief in one another. It dissolves the idea that we are coming together to achieve one purpose. So the reason why sports are so important, team sports, or really any team collaboration idea, not just sports for our non-sports listeners, are so important is because it creates in a vacuum and in, in such a hot, condensed environment, this idea that we all try to achieve far after we're done with our sports career. We all try to just recreate everything we experienced on the sports team if you were a sports player. But it, it, it can't be done in that hot, condensed, August double session heat of you're tired, you're thirsty, you're you know, digging after it, you know, all that environment stuff that you learn so much, overcoming adversity, trusting each other, believing in each other, faith. Do, you, do I believe that so-and-so is going to do what he's asked to do? I have faith that they will. So... You, you know, this is just like you're back in the office, so we're just going to go go right for it. So um, you deal with a lot with coaches. Um, that's kind of the primary people that you serve. Um, you know, I don't think it'd be any surprise even to our non-sports listeners. Coaches are dealing with a whole lot more. Um, just yesterday, the Derek Chauvin verdict mm -hmm. of the death of George Floyd came out. You're a coach. You're talking to coaches. Um, what's it like to quote unquote love the players you serve, even dare I say minister to the players you serve, you know, what's the opportunities and challenges that we have these social issues, how, how are coaches and maybe what can people learn from sports about these topics just from what you're encountering and what's the challenges there too? So in, in the realm of sports, we look at athletes and my job as a coach is to look at athletes and evaluate them on everything. So when we're on the practice field for the two hours that we're there, I evaluate everything, the way a player walks, the attitude they have on the field. Are they hitting their blocking assignments? Like everything's under a microscope and it only gets the finer the microscope is when you get to the college professional level. Um, how do you care for athletes? Well, when you reach out to an athlete outside of the realm of sports complex, it mean it speaks volumes, volumes to these athletes. It's it, it, it's as if for a non-sports listener, 
It's as if if we were watching Pastor Rob only preach on Sunday mornings, and then on Monday morning you get a text message from from Rob saying, "How you doing today?" You've now broken all the barriers that exist from the prejudice of my coach is only my coach, and so. What I've seen, what I've done is our coaches really look for opportunities. How do I break that wall? How do I break down the wall of I am just a coach? Now, I've seen it done in very positive ways and I've seen it done in very negative ways. In a college environment when I was playing at Fisher, the laughing and joking and camaraderie of breaking down the walls of my coach as a person came through talking about parties, talking about playing history, talking about like things that weren't conducive or building up of positive character. Um, but it was effective in breaking down the wall because players learned to trust the coach. See where I'm going with this? That there's positive and negative ways to do it. And what I've done, so when everything broke this summer in Rochester and, and there were just bad, bad ideas floating. I reached out to two of our players who both are African-American, both live in the city, urban, suburban exchange program. And I just reached out and I'm like, what's going on? How, how are you doing? One of the athletes, I'll never forget this. I reached out and he said, I'm doing okay, but I can hear, you know, the gunshots blocks away. And I'm like, I had to take like a full, like 30 seconds. And it was a short text message. Like just, I don't know how to process what this athlete just said. Now I've talked to this athlete, like, you know, we can talk about, you know, what our bullets blitz is, how to drop back and cover three. How do I defend this wide receiver when he runs a slant and then an out? Like how that common language. What I've done is as a coach, I've broken through the barrier and found the language that they're speaking. So it's like if you've ever had a CV radio and you're trying to find, you know, the station that all the truckers are using so you can speak CV talk, like you're just dialing through the frequencies to find the right code to hit with your athletes. Now it's different with certain ones. Certain ones want to talk about it. Certain ones don't want to talk about it. But one of our players, um, really wanted to go play college football. And he texted me, he's like, coach, what do I got to do? Now as a coach, I could say, show up to practice. I could give him, I could give him the answer he was looking for, or I could go above and beyond and give him a relationship, something that he didn't know he was looking for, but needed. So I texted him, he was like, let's meet at Starbucks and I'll tell you everything I know. We met at Starbucks, we had an hour and a half conversation. Now, what did that cost me? It cost me an hour and a half of my time it cost me six bucks at Starbucks because he wanted to get one of those really tall, fancy drinks. And, um, but what did I gain? I gained so much trust in relational equity from it just because I sacrificed, broke down a wall, a perceived barrier, and I reached out and I, and I found the frequency that he was speaking. And it, it was great, genuine That's, relationship. That is so interesting um, talking about it as a, breaking down barriers, but also kind of a language of its own in some ways. Um, so tell me, like you, you mentioned at the beginning, you won up to me at the beginning, it was very competitive of you to go say FCA was international. <laughs> so what, what uh, have, have you seen that abroad also, and maybe through work you've done, um, but also just for your organization, does, does the sports that you're, you are, um, the programs you put together 
does it build bridges that crosses language barriers also um, abroad, maybe even here in the States too? Yeah. So part of our region, our Northeast region of FCA, we partner with an international country and it's kind of an FCA partnership. So we partner with Canada, the obvious, you know, we we're kind of bummed that we didn't get like FCA Caribbean or, you know, some <laughs> country we could go and wear flip flops. But it's been an amazing partnership in, in our VP of FCA Canada. I've had numerous conversations with him. And one of the conversations I'll never forget, um, they used to run youth sport camps. He was doing sports ministry on his own. And then FCA kind of found him and said, we, we want you to transition. And like, we think we can make this huge and do all of Canada. He was centered in Toronto. I'll never forget. He was running a sports camp and I've soccer and all sports camp. It was, it was something that, you know, it got kids involved because as a parent, you know, we're all parents around this table. We, we want what's best for our kids. And the biggest challenge with kids and sports and, and the influences is you, and I've said this before, like we can pick who our kids youth pastor is like, honestly, like we can, like, if I don't like the youth pastor at Browncroft, I love Aaron and I think he does an amazing job. But if, if I didn't like him as a parent, I'd be like, all right, we're picking up. We're going to the church down the road. Like you can do that. Coaches, you can't. There's no way you can move the coach at the high school. Trust me, I've seen it happen. Parents, you know, wanting this coach to get fired, that coach. Schools won't do it. So you can't pick the coach who's influencing your kid. Um, but at the youth level, you can. And so they were having this dramatic impact. And a lot of people in the community were cutting talking. And one of the things I didn't know about Toronto, but it's the highest uh, Muslim population per capita because of their um, refugee program and, and all this different stuff. So I was talking to our VP and he said, I'll never forget my one memory. This uh, black, black SUV rolls up, black tinted windows, and it, he rolls down the window to talk to the camp director. And I just remember this billow of smoke rolling out of the SUV. I'm like, okay, where, where are you going with this story? Like, I don't know, if, did you get in? Did you like, what, where are you going with this story? And uh, he, he, what he said to me was, it was the most notorious drug dealer in Toronto that was dropping off his six or seven year old son to our FCA camp. I was like, what did, what did you do? Like we welcomed him with open arms. Like it, it was a safe place. We felt safe. You know, it was a great relationship. They ended up talking after the camp and it was just this amazing message that they would never had been in the same room unless it was, peewee youth soccer camp that gave the ability for their kid to we talk in the fca about inspiration and perspiration all of our camps are centered on those two we perspirate get better athletically at what we do and we inspire which we get better spiritually and mentally at how we do it and i just remember you know the barriers that were there just um just amazing uh there's another one not fca related but it, it breaks down barriers. There's a video circulating you. I bet you can find it. College, uh, women's college soccer game. And they're playing and there's a, a, a Muslim girl who was on the opposing team who dribbles down the field and her um, headscarf fell off in, in Muslim culture. Like that is very bad. Four opposing players from the other team surrounded this girl and allowed her to put her headscarf back on 
without her feeling shame because she was covered by these four opposing players. And that example has spoke like marvels to me of like, there are places and spaces where we all talk about like, be a positive competitor, you know, we can play hard, work hard, all that stuff. But it's all about we're, we're trying to achieve this, this goal. And there's two ways you can do it. You can do it positively and with integrity and say, I'm just going to work hard and do my best on the field. Or I can push and shove everyone else down and say, like, I'm going to kick you in the kneecaps and say, you're worse than me, so I'm going to win the prize. You and uh, Dan Campbell for uh, the yeah. Lions fans, Josh Eisenhardt. <laughs> uh, I saw his press conference. <laughs> and when you see that, like, so speaking about Dan Campbell, like, he is one of the examples of a coach, like, old school style, but like very competitive, very determined. And when some people hear that press conference, they're like, there's no way he should be a head coach. And to those people, it's like, as a football player, I understand what he's saying. I understand like he's speaking a different language that to the normal culture sounds like this dude sounds like he's going to be a serial killer. He's not like he's, he's over amplifying the intensity and the attitude that he's trying to conduct with his players. Like we're going to be, we're going to be mean. We're going to be, you know, fight to the whistle. And, and it's when you think about sports, there's so much thrown into it in so many different avenues and competitive angles that you can look at it, not all of which are positive. And so when you're talking about barriers, it's just like everything, like you can break barriers in a lot of different ways. Not all of them are positive. Mm. When I was in high school, I got to be the center of attention because I would get really drunk and be the clown of the party. I broke down barriers, not in a positive way, but because I broke down barriers, like I just wanted to keep doing it and keep doing it because people started paying attention to me. They started liking me. Now I do it through creating value in other people. I look at them and say, listen, we're not speaking the same language. I want to know what's important to you. How is me as a coach cannot create an atmosphere where you need to earn people's affirmation, but where who you are is good enough. And I say to my daughter all the time, she's a five-year-old and she wants to try soccer. I said, Leah, the two requirements that I'll always have of you when you go to do something, did you try and did you give your best? I don't care if you won. I don't care if you're the best. I don't care if like you want to do it 17 more times or zero more times did you try and did you give your best because it's not correlated with performance but it breaks down the barrier of those relationships i'm gonna ask this question to both of you um so i'm just you know we've talked a lot about you know racial reconciliation kind of pol political reconciliation but there's kind of a reconciliation with the coronavirus and what i'm thinking about is in 2001 there was september 11th and there's two sports moments that kind of stand out to me and the first one is you know george w bush throwing the uh, first pitch of the world series to which the great Derek jeter said to him you know make sure it gets over the plate um and it did and then the second moment is i love you browns fans but I still remember the Browns, they throw these beer bottles after the game because they lost. And you could hear, you know, the news pundits say, oh, I guess we're back to normal now. Um, 
I guess I'm curious from both of your perspectives, Aaron, you were in DC in 2001, Cody, you're watching sport. Have we hit that moment? Either one of those, the negative normal or the inspirational, but just, you know, thinking about reconciliation from the coronavirus shutdown pandemic, or do you think we're still waiting for those moments? I'd be curious, both of your opinions. Well, next Thursday will be a normal of the Jets picking very high in the draft. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I, th I, I think with, uh, with the coronavirus and, and even, and I'll say this personally for me, it was an amazing blessing to be able to coach the sport I love this year. And like there was, it was really challenging, the hurdles and the things we had to jump over. But I think there's a level of we're getting back to a place in space that is normal, air quotes, because it's, it's never going to be normal. Like we're never going to go back to the way it was because this is always going to be a part of our history. Um, it's going to be a scar. You know, scars are there to tell the story, to, to show how far we've come. And I don't think like we're going to jump back into the NFL season this fall and be like, we're back to normal because it's, it, it's not. We're adjusting to a new normal. So I think the second we had a, a more successful outcome of a season, even sports dialogue and even positive conversations of around COVID, it's been because we've come to the realization or the people that I've talked to, we've come to the realization like, okay, what happened a year and a half ago? We just need to let it die and say that most likely won't happen in the future. We're adjusting to a new normal, mm. you know? And, and so my, sorry to hog all the time, Aaron, but I, no. one more story. So um, when my stepfather passed away two years ago, the normal grief talk is you don't get, you know, get on with it or get beyond it. You adjust to it. Mm. And I think that's what we're dealing with is, is it's a season of grief and we're mourning the loss of everything that was two years ago. Mm. Everything that we were normalized, that every, like we could walk down the street and not feel like I was covered in boils because the person that I was walking, you know, towards jumped on the other side of the street. And then you're looking at yourself and you're like, do I still have a shirt on? Like it, that might not be happening again. I don't know. I hope it does. I hope we can walk side by side with people on the sidewalk. I hope we can have community and gatherings and all of those things. It's just adjusting to a new normal. So mm. I think sports and even what we're seeing in the NFL and the NFLPA having to look at, do we have to regulate players getting the vaccine? Can we formalize this? Like all of these conversations. And it's like, this is, this is absurd. Mm. But from a fan's perspective, can we agree that we're just adjusting to a new normal. Mm. And I was just having a conversation before I came here is it, it comes down to trust. We, we've, we're failing to trust that the best decisions are being made. Mm. And even when we, even when we fail or there's going to be a failure, you know, I talk to my daughter all the time. Like we share failures. We talk about how we failed in our week because we want to normalize when we've fallen short. Mm. We've, we've almost gotten to a point in our, in our culture and society and even in sports that failure is something we should never experience. But yet we always talk about in work and we should try and we should do new things and we shouldn't just do things because that's the way we've always done them. 
Well, we do that because we fear failure because we've gotten to a point where we've almost shamed the idea of trying and failing. Hmm. And so I think where we are now is, yeah, we might not agree with all of the decisions being made, whether, you know, mask, unmask, this, that, the other thing, whatever. We can go down 17 different rabbit holes. But are we trying? Are we failing? And are we failing forward? You know, that's that's the key. So I don't I don't think it will ever be normal. It's adjusting. Yeah, I thank you, Cody. That was uh, that was a I think that was a good a good reflection on on Peter's question. I think, you know, and Peter, when you asked that question, yeah, I had to think for a little while. Um, so I'm glad that I got a little time to think. But I <laughs> do you need more? I can. No, <laughs> no, no I, I, I do remember. Um, so you mentioned 9-11. Um, yeah, I, I was there in D.C. Uh, during 9-11. And I remember the uh, the first pitch that President Bush did, and and that was a powerful moment for the country. And I think that that kind of gets at what we're we're talking about in this conversation about sports having a bigger a bigger role than just the sport itself, you know, in our in our culture and our society. And um, and it was powerful. I think not not just because of it being in that game, but it, like it. You're right. It was a there was a there was a symbol there that even though we hadn't really come out of, we didn't know everything that was going to happen after 9-11, but there, we were, we were standing together. There was a unifying element behind it. Um, and, and that sport situation had built a, built a bridge. Um, you mentioned for COVID, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there is one moment. Um, I think that it's been an ongoing, I think we're still adapting. I think to Cody's point, it's not it's not a one and done thing here. We're not we're not past this yet. Um, we don't know how it's going to change things moving forward. But yeah, if sports has a different language, um, it would be interesting to know how how can we best how can sports best use that language to help with it with um, unifying between groups in this country um, and beyond because we you know. We certainly need it, but you know, at the end of the day, we know, which is, I think is one of the reasons why your ministry is so powerful, that Jesus is the one that's going to do that, um, that unifying. So, but to answer your immediate question, I'm not sure there's one moment. Do you have a moment in your mind? You know, the first thing that comes to mind, and I don't think it even counts, is Alex Smith, who had like this huge injury, but there hasn't, that's been the odd thing. There hasn't been, in my mind, and I mean, listeners, you can respond to this, you know, online, but I don't feel like there's been a moment that we can collectively, you know, just, I don't even want to say breathe, but there was just, I don't know, which I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the closest thing to that so far for me has been just, just the fact that baseball was going to have, start off with its normal season Mm. again, like that, even if the state, you know, the audience situation is different as far as who can be in the stands and all that, but just just the fact that baseball started on time with spring training there's kind of this feeling of coming out of the winter um maybe that's something but i don't i don't think it's quite the same level of what we've talked about yet mm-hmm. it's um i think it's interesting in going back previously to what we were talking about of um people saying you know shut up and dribble and you know use your platform you know don't use your platform I think it's interesting when we talk about sports, we're talking about sports using its platform to unify us. 
And so it's, it's interesting, you know, when uh, President Bush threw out the first pitch, it's like, oh, like this is a unifying moment because we were all in alignment with its meaning. Mm. But when an athlete uses their platform or a sport uses their platform, you know, I think about when the NBA uses their entire platform of the bubble to produce and have messages on the jerseys, on the court for all, you know, Black Lives Matter, equity, equality, all of those things. People stopped watching the NBA altogether. They were like, I don't, I don't want this in my sports. But when it's unifying and it's something that pulls us all together versus uh, uh, something that we might not fully understand, it, it's an interesting of the subjectivity of we want platforms to be unifying, but I don't want the platform to be used with something that I don't fully understand. So I don't think we'll ever have normal sports because I think where sports has come is to a point where we can never go back. Like we can't go back to a place where sports are going to be unifying mm. because it's been so, so div there's been so much division in sports because of the, the placements that athletes and sports programs and everything has had, you know, like I go back to kneeling for the national anthem and we saw it in college games and high school games and it, and it trickling down. And now people refuse to go back to watch the NFL where the NFL used to be this unifying shield or emblem. And that, you know, because of one person or one decision or one platform and the same with the NBA, what they did in the bubble was a risk because they lost a lot of people that followed the NBA because they didn't agree or they didn't understand. And so I think sports has lost its ability to be that pure unifier because of what has happened over the past two, two and a half years. Well, we got to close that. That's an unfortunate place to close. Maybe, maybe we'll go on a positive note. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard that everybody likes Ted Lasso. So have you guys heard of Ted Lasso? Nope. He's the foot. So um, it's a show on Apple TV. He's a American football coach that goes to uh, the UK to coach a soccer team. So I've heard that's unifying. But anyways, uh, I think it. I think it will be, I think it, it unifies, but there's, like I said before, like there's always going to be the scars. Yeah. There's always going to, and it's always going to tell a story and it's in the unifying part is, can we as individuals adjust to the new normal that athletes sure. aren't going to be like, um, trying to think of a old, like Ryan's Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick is kind of the pure definition of he is an athlete and doesn't say anything out of the norm. Did you know he went to Harvard? He went to Harvard. I know. He's <laughs> the smartest football Did player. Did you know he wears his wedding ring? I Our he local does. sports talk show hosts talk about that. So yeah, anyway. so I think <laughs> athletes no longer are going to be just athletes. Yeah. And I think we as fans just have to get in a position of being comfortable. That's That's where we're moving. Well, this is a good place to kind of close with our question. What does Jesus have to do with this topic? So I'll I'll start. Aaron's going to answer. What we always say is whatever is heresy, um, you get to clean up. So congratulations. Maybe I should go first. 
if that's if that's the way we're flying it, uh, we're we're like a hundred episodes in. We're not going to change that. Peter, so. Peter, maybe you should be cleaning up our. Uh, you know, Stop it. Yeah. Well, do, you, do you want me to go first, or do you want to go? I'll first? be the first one. You, you, you. No, 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 no. You're 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 going last. Doesn't matter. Go for it, Peter. Go for it. Um, you know, there's 52. I think there's even more one another passages in the Bible. So love one another, serve one another. You know, you brought up small groups. So for those of you that don't go to church, there's these groups of people that meet once a week. They read the Bible together. They share life. They, and, and there's something powerful that happens when you commit to a group of people, and that's what sports teams are. You know, a basketball team is a small group. The defensive unit is a small group. There's 11 people. And... I think what sports teach us about reconciliation from Jesus's perspective is, you know, at some point you're going to disagree. You're not going to come from the same perspective, but there's something about as Eric Mason and Crawford Loritz um, or Brian Loritz would say, there's something about proximity. And as we think of all the debates and all the controversies, sports teach us the power of proximity at their best place. So that's what I'll say. Yeah, I, I love this topic, and it's it's really been a great com- you know conversation. Thanks, Cody. Uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm excited to see and keep learning. I guess how 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 God can use sports. I mean, it, there is. I think Cody has made a good point that there's been um, a lot of controversy around sports, and maybe it has lost some of its um, power in some people's lives. But there's still something about it that when you get on a field and you start kicking a ball or throwing a ball or it doesn't matter what part of town you're from it doesn't matter what color your skin is it doesn't matter what language you speak you can you can build a bridge there and that idea that somehow there's something about sports that builds a bridge that can't be found somewhere else even to your your Canada story you know that that's really interesting um and so uh you know i think that I think that Jesus can use that, and I think he, 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 I'm sure he wants to use it to reach people. So, and thankful, thank you for the, the work that you do in the ministry of FCA um, and others like that. So, I, I, yeah, that's my thought. There's, I don't have to clean up anything from uh, what you guys said, <laughs> but um, why does Jesus matter, or where is Jesus in sports? Um, I think when you look at sports in in the business world, we always want to define the win. Whenever we go into something, you want to define the win. Okay, what when after this event is over, after this initiative is over, after this product launch is over, did we win? We want to know like were we successful? Jesus matters in sports because if you only measure success by the result on the scoreboard, you already lost. Mm. You already lost. Because sports has so much more to offer. I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for sports. If it wasn't for organized football and me finding the ability, in as barbaric as it sounds, to hit another individual without getting in trouble, I would be down and out and you know, probably not following Jesus, dealing drugs somewhere, maybe arrested. Like that was on the track of my life, but sports and my coach, Tim Ahern, who was my modified head coach, who I don't know if he followed Jesus or loved Jesus, but was such a positive influence in my life 
taught me so many life lessons through football and in football that it changed the trajectory of where I wanted to go. That football, God used football to save my life to ultimately come to know Jesus. Mm. And it was only because I had a coach who cared enough to not care about the scoreboard, Mm. who reached in just like the gospel and said, you are valuable and you are worth my time no matter where you come from, what language you speak. And that's the glory of the jersey. We always use the Jesus metaphor of like, are you wearing the jersey of Christ? Does the name on the front matter more than the name on the back? Like all of these sports metaphors and references. And if you don't know them, like go watch Miracle. And (laughs) one of the greatest things is that is the gospel. When we put on a sports jersey, which I love, um, the, the head coach from Army the reason why they did away the, with the last names on the back of the jersey is because they wanted to be unified in their goals and their initiatives and what they do. And it, so on the back of everyone's jersey, it's Army, and on the front, it's Army. And so does the name on the front matter more than the name on the back? In sports, Jesus uses sports, the life lessons in sports, to accentuate the lessons taught in the Gospels. Mm. And he, in the time, used agricultural metaphors because everyone universally understood them and i think what fca does and what i'm trying to do is use sports metaphors to reach those that completely understand the language so that they can better understand the gospel and the message of reconciliation wow what a place to close um cody thank you so much for joining fcarochester.org you got it fcarochester.org subscribe to his email you can subscribe to our email email um, by going to whygotawhypodcast.com we're so thankful and uh, share this episode with a friend thank you so very much